Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Test episode 151 was recorded live Thursday, February 28th, 2013. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and it's good to be back. I thank everybody for all the well wishes. I, I feel much better now. But before we get started, I'd like to introduce my co-host for this week. We have Mac, the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. I'm glad to see you back. I'm feeling better. Thank you. And we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Just great. And, and oh. you were down in Florida, weren't you? I was. Oh, was it warm? I take it was a little warmer than, down there than up here? Uh, yes. I didn't see any snow down there. No snow. Well, that's that's good. I mean, I guess they do occasionally get snow down there. So that'd be my luck. That's when I go down there is when it's going to snow. And then this week to kick things off, we're going to have a special guest. We have somebody joining us uh, also currently from Michigan. We have Steve Phillipson. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you, Darren. So uh, we had talked. You know, you, you've you've done a little bit of diving with us. Haven't you gone out with uh, Jim on Lake Michigan before? Uh, I tried to go out with Jim, but we uh, we got blown off. I was going to dive Max Wreck last year, but I dove in uh, in Grand Rapids um, with him um, one day. Okay, where did you guys dive? Um, it was it was at Moby's at the um, Southwest Michigan Preserves fundraiser that they had out there. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I didn't get a chance to get up for that. So, so so what's new in your your world, Steve? I understand that you've you've going through a dive master course. Uh, yes, yeah, I um, currently. Um, about 80% complete with my dive master program with Paddy um, through Aquatic Adventures of Michigan. I um, originally certified with BSAC in the UK uh, back in the early 80s, um, quite a long time ago, and then uh, life got in the way. I stopped diving after only a couple of years um, until um, end of 2011 when I started again with my uh, teenage son. Oh, wow. And um, so we spent um, the last year and a half going through Pile pump water, um, party advanced view, and then a little more specialty courses beside together. So it's been a, a great experience to spend some time with my son there. Well, excellent. So how, how's he liking the diving? Uh, he's absolutely loving it. He um, actually wants to go into the military and, and further his career with diving and, and the medical area. Um, uh, he wants to be what they call a PJ, um, a combat rescue medic. So um, so he's putting this to good stead. He's actually just uh, transferring over to side mount because he's still too young to go down the technical route. Okay. Yeah, I think it's good for the younger ones to wait before getting too deep. Mac, what was it that uh, they were saying? What was the age for deep diving? I'm sorry, for deep diving? Yeah, for for youth. You and I have had conversations about that it was good for teenagers to wait a little bit before getting too deep. There's a lot of controversy. It depends on what group and what instructor. Uh, but I know that some patty will start you at 10, and you can get certified, I believe, at 16 for some of the courses. Uh, but there are some out there who will not teach anyone under 18 yeah. because of the liabilities, because the thought process in an emergency for 
a younger individual is not what you'd want in a very hazardous condition or an emergency. So again, not everybody's alike. All the the kids, young adults are different. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's uh, depends on the instructor. Yeah, it just seemed like I remember something about uh, there's some physiological reasons to hold off. Correct. Yeah. But a lot has to do again with type of diving. As always, warm water clarity improves survivability for anybody diving as opposed to deep, dark, and cold. Yeah, I took my son through a class a few years ago, and actually, I think we were still living. No, it must have been. He must have done it here in Michigan. Yeah, he did. I was thinking we were still in New Jersey, but he did it here in Michigan before when he was in high school. And he and I did some diving. We put him on the seat wheel mm-hmm. uh, one time when we were up in Sheboygan a few years ago. But he had to dive with me until he turned 18. Yeah. Well, my my son, we're gonna as soon as we get through his epilepsy, then uh, we're gonna get him diving. So that that probably delayed him a little bit. He might have gotten a chance to get in the water this year. So, so Steve, what else have you been up to other than the uh, dive course? Um, well, actually, I contacted you earlier this uh, this year. I um, I've been listening to your show, huge fan, listened to all the episodes over the last twelve to twelve months or so on my commute to work, which can be anything from an hour to two. And um, I um, I've been working with my local store um, to become a, an instructor with them, and so. I uh, contacted you and asked if you would like to follow me going through my uh, instructor um, training, um, which would be Paddy Open Water Instructor. But in parallel to that, um, I've also um, really um, embraced the rebreather technology. Mm -hmm. And um, I have um, basically, in um, working with my uh, local dive store um, out of Brighton, um, I've um, put some funds their way so that they can get into the rebreather technology. Um, and help support me through the training and um, hopefully become a, a rebreather instructor for them over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, so the um, owner of the store, uh, Tom Road, who's been in the industry for um, about 18 years uh, with his wife, Kim Parker, um, Tom and I are going down to Florida the second week in April to begin our um, rebreather training. And um, the big announcement actually is going to be um, this Saturday at the Shipwreck Festival, um, we're going to be announcing to the, the general public um, that Aquatic Adventures are now a Poseidon rebreather um, center, the, the only center in Michigan, and also a ambient pressure diving um, inspiration and evolution um, dealer as well. Now, um, now, what's ambient pressure? Is that just another brand of rebreather? Yeah, it's another brand of rebreather. Um, the reason we're taking on two brands of rebreathers is the Poseidon is currently only rated as a recreational rebreather. Um, and the, um, the ambient pressure, uh, most people know the dive inspiration and evolutions. Um, that is more of a technical unit. Uh, and we want to cover both ends of the spectrum from recreational to uh, technical rebreathers. So I take it then that you, you've bought a rebreather or you're in the process of, of getting one? Um, yeah, actually, um, Tom and I are um, already in possession of our Mark VI Poseidons, and Poseidon have actually, um, they've come up from Texas, the uh, distributor um, for the U.S. has come up from Texas to be with us at the launch at the Shipwreck Festival on Saturday, um, which has been fantastic support from Poseidon, and um, our inspiration and evolutions are 
currently being made in the UK and we should have those within a couple of weeks um, in plenty of time for our training um, the second week of April. Um, we will be doing the um, Poseidon rebreather through to recreational advanced level training and the Inspiration Evolution through to the Tech 40 class. So it's going to be uh, seven to eight days of intensive training with a, a gentleman by the name of Chris Brown um, from Silent World Diving in Key Largo, Florida. Now for, so you're, you're not quite an instructor yet. How long will you have to be an instructor before you'll be a uh, rebreather instructor? Um, well, the prerequisites for a rebreather instructor are you have to be paddy open water instructor already. Um, and then you have to have a minimum of um, 75 dives and 50 hours on the specific rebreather that you want to instruct. Um, and again, that, these are minimums. Um, I hope to uh, learn a lot more about it before I uh, try and take any kind of instructor tests. Um, so we're, at the timeline we've laid out, um, for Tom, who's already a technical instructor um, with uh, TDI and, and PADI, um, his timeline will be a little quicker because we can put the hours on the rebreather uh, and get him up to speed fairly quickly. So he should take the rebreather instructor exam around August of this year. Um, for myself, it's probably going to be more likely um, this time next year uh, before I contemplate uh, trying to take the uh, rebreather instructor exam. Now, you know, Mac, Jim, and I, we got a buddy who's a rebreather diver, and uh, he's yep. been doing it for, for quite a while, Bob. And yeah, it, I mean, the machine's amazing, and what he's able to do with it is great, but it does seem to be awfully complicated. Is there something different with the rebreathers that you'll be stocking over? Uh, he, he dives a KISS. Um, KISS has um, two or three different levels um, from um, reasonably simple, I should I'd say simple, it's all relative, I guess, um, to the more technical ones, so I'm not sure which KISS module he uses. The Poseidon rebreather, um, the Mark VI recreational that we've got, is actually the first rebreather in the world that has taken um, someone that's never dove before um, straight through to open water certified on a rebreather. Um, they did that through an organization called RAID, um, which is uh, another part of the world. It's, um, it's not a PADI equivalent, but it's that kind of agency, just on a much smaller scale, specific for rebreathers. <laughs> So the, um, the Mark VI is very electronic, um, a lot of um, checks and balances that it does um, just to initialize, as well as throughout the entire dive process. Um, so we're that it's going to be a lot easier um, than the KISS for creational level people to, um, to start diving these, um, especially in the Great Lakes, um, where we can extend our bottom time significantly. Um, So uh, now, I mean, the, the question and the, the thing that's kind of kept me away from one is, uh, you know, the complexity doesn't really concern me, but how's that price? Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, the <laughs> price is the one that always scares people. It is, it's not an inexpensive hobby to start with, isn't scuba diving, as we all know. Um, and the, uh, the rebreathers are very expensive. Um, there really is no financial reason that you would go and use a rebreather. Um, unless you are doing incredibly deep technical dives that use a lot of helium, um, then you would see a financial gain eventually. Um, but as far as recreational level, um, there's no payback there. The units 
complete with B, C, D, uh, or um, right around between nine to eleven thousand dollars, depending on the unit you'd buy. And then the training is much more um, open water, for example. And so the um, the basic rebreather training for Paddy Advanced is about twelve hundred dollars for the training as well. Um, and that's just the uh, the training fees. This uh, as Tom and I are having to travel to Florida to do ours because there aren't really any instructors in the area to instruct us on, on that equipment. So it's a, a substantial investment. You, you'd have to, I mean, it, probably it's comparable to other hobbies. If you were going to uh, race cars or buy a fancy boat, you could be in similar price range. But as far as diving, it's quite a, quite a bit more than what the average diver invests over a number of years. Uh, yeah, the uh, and you made a good analogy there with racing cars, which is when I um, put my business case to Tom and Kim, um, uh, the the demographic for these kinds of rebreathers is is really the the, the middle aged uh, and upper aged gentlemen or ladies that um, have some income and they they want to dive high technology, they like technology, um, and um, they're prepared to pay for that. Um, as long as it's safe and, and a lot of automation involved, um, which is why we've gone with the Poseidon because it has a lot of those features. Um, and then the other end spectrum of the market is the the technical guys that are diving deep in Lake Michigan uh, or, or other parts of the world in caves they're, that are going to spend whatever they can and they're going to spend on their scuba diving gear before they'll even eat to, to get to those deep wrecks uh, that need this kind of equipment. Well, Macker... Jim, do you have any questions for Steve? You're doing the Discovery Poseidon? Yes, yeah, the the Mark VI. Uh, it's been right. out since about 2009, I believe. Um, it's really taken off in Europe and other parts of the world, but has been pretty slow to take off in the USA. So you're basically uh, right at the 40-meter mark for that Discovery unit, correct? That's correct. They have actually a 48-meter um, a Trimix battery. Um, that So you can. it is certified to 48 meters, with Trimix, but not through Paddy. Paddy only have it certified to 40 meters as a recreational rebreather. Um, Poseidon are actually working on a, an add-on module to make it a, um, a 100 meter certifiable unit, uh, but that's been in development for uh, a few years now, and um, people are still waiting to hear the final announcement. They did display it last year, uh, and it basically adds a second scrubber and computer module to your existing unit um, to increase the, the depth capabilities of the unit um, and you almost have a redundant scrubber, uh, the scrubber being the part that um, chemically removes the carbon dioxide from the breathing loop. That's standard soda sorb, correct? Sorry? Are you using soda, soda sorb? Yeah, it's uh, a softenol is the one that the side uses and it comes in pre-packed cartridges. Yeah. Um, so you're not, uh, one of the problems with rebreathers where people were packing the cartridges incorrectly and um, so they've uh, eliminated that with regards to user error and, and gone with a pre-packed form, um, which it also is not inexpensive. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, it's it's about forty-eight to fifty dollars a canister. Um, a canister, is, and that's retail price. The uh, the canister is going to give you about three to four hours of diving, dependent on your your metabolism rate and the temperature of the water you're diving in. Um, 
but a downside to it, which I didn't realize when I first looked into these, was um, you need to use that canister within about 24 to 48 hours. So if you use that canister on a Sunday morning dive for only an hour, and you're not going to dive again till the following week, you still need to throw that canister away and, and install a new one um, at a later date. Now, you're using the V48 firmware for yours? Um, we will be, yes. Um, Tom and I will be. We, um, uh, we're getting trained to the Tech 40 level, um, but we've purchased the extra firmware, which will be switched off until we've taken that level of um, Trimix 48 level testing and uh, training, which won't be until later this year. Yeah, Tara in the chat room uh, did, the, did the math. She says that runs about $10 an hour or so. Yep. And uh, if you're if you're getting tank fills for about six bucks, uh, that can last you about ninety minutes. So you, you, you're kind of correct that you, you're not unless you're doing deep technical diving, burning through tons of helium. It's it's really not a cost save. No, what actually drew me to this was um, I'm a photographer uh -huh. um, and I do a lot of underwater photography as well. So that's a huge draw. But also one of the big draws for me was um, I, I dive nitrox because if I dive air, my body tends to ache quite a bit after a dive. Uh, and as you know, putting the extra air in with nitrox um, raises the PPO2 level at certain depths and you build up less nitrogen. Um, so you, you feel better after a dive. Well, with a rebreather, you, you're always diving that perfect mix of oxygen with minimum nitrogen. Um, so I don't really intend to dive much longer than I would on open circuit, um, but I'm going to come up with significantly less nitrogen in my my um, my metabolism. Um, so that's one of the huge factors that that pushed me towards rebreathers. Um, I, I think it's actually uh, it's kind of dispelling the youth that these are the the myth that these things are very very dangerous. Um, and, and they are if you don't follow the uh, these things and take care of them. But um, I think it can also be a safety benefit to you if used in the right instances. Yeah, and one thing that uh, Bob has pointed out is that you're with the rebreather, you stay warmer. Uh, yeah, you actually uh, rebreathe the warm air that's moist also, it's not dry, so you get less dehydrated. And the chemical reaction between the... Um, Softenol scrubber material, um, removing the carbon dioxide from the air, creates heat. Um, so you you are actually breathing warmer air than you're breathing air. As a side note, uh, once you get past the initial cost, were you to be diving nitrox, uh, and if you're diving up there in Lake Huron, you're talking fourteen dollars a fill, and you're talking ten dollars for the scrubber unit, basically. So cost effective for diving gas, you're coming out after the initial outlay pretty good with the rebreather. Yeah, and then Bob likes to point out that he's not noisy. Yeah, we're not going to scare away the animals, hopefully. And that's, from our photography, I'm hoping that's going to be a, a big benefit because I would like to uh, uh, push that and enhance that a lot further as well. Have you uh, been down with the rebreather? I have not been down with a rebreather yet, no. Uh, my first experience is actually going to be in Florida when I go down for the uh, the Tech 40 training here in uh, in six weeks. You will find the big difference is you can hear things you did not hear before. That silence is nice. Bob uh, took his down specifically because he's taking uh, some photog photography also. Mm -hmm. He's got some shots back already. I don't know if you guys saw them or, or not, the octopus and stuff. Yeah. That is really, I mean, not making noise is going to help you out a lot on your macro. Yeah, he, yep. he, he's talked about situations where, because Bob's always the first one in, last one out. 
and he'll get down on a site and be shooting film, and then us uh, bubble blowers will will descend down, and he says everything will scatter before we get down there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to those experiences. It's uh, a little intimidating. Um, I understand my buoyancy control that I've worked so hard to achieve is basically going to go to heck, and I'm going to have to start all over again with the, the rebreather system um, with how you control your buoyancy. So that's going to be quite an experience for us. Yeah, you, you have to adjust for that counter lung. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so it, it's a whole new experience. But uh, Yeah, so I'm going to hopefully enjoy sharing those experiences with you guys over the next uh, 12 months or so and uh, and uh, let you know how it goes and, and keep you abreast of the of what's going on. Um, we, we, look, yep. we look forward to hearing about it. And I'll be then, diving over there with you guys as well, um, coming over hopefully uh, working on some of the cleaning of Mike's wreck here in the spring and the summer. So yeah. uh, we, look for, we look forward to that. We'll put you down there with uh, a hose and let you stay down as long as you can. <laughs> the one thing that Bob has warned us, though, is he really has to watch out for uh, over overworking his rebreather yes, it's, and carbon monoxide buildup yep, or carbon is, dioxide buildup, I should say. That's the one area of concern for me is that I have to get much fitter. Um, uh, I'm not the fittest uh, of guys. And um, over-breathing the loop, as they call it, and building more carbon dioxide than you can, your scrubber can take out is a big concern. So it's not a physical – you shouldn't be doing physical activities when you're diving on a rebreather, as they say. Yeah. And, yeah. And It'll Bob, be interesting. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah, I'm going to say Bob's not shy about calling a dive. He's very sensitive to – if he doesn't feel right for any reason, he calls a dive because that rebreather just adds that little bit of extra unknown, and it, uh, you, know, you just can't chance it. You know, if you've, you know, maybe you're 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 sick and not in the best shape, and you don't know how everything's all going to play out. Yeah, and the technology is not quite there yet to monitor the um, the CO2 buildup. It's it's almost there, I think, and within a couple of years you're going to see more and more units adding it in. But uh, and right now we're just on the edge. That's the last piece of the puzzle that's going to make these units a lot safer to dive. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to, to hearing you compare different rebreathers as you use them, train them, work on them, et cetera, to, to help give us different perspectives, pro and con. You know, It's one thing to try it and test it once or twice. It's another thing when you're using multiple units repeatedly to be able to find the intricacies of the differences. Yep, it's it's definitely going to be fun, and um, and we'll uh, we'll keep you posted. And uh, like I said, probably the next time I'll be on will be uh, when I get back from Florida, um, and um, we'll let you know how it went. Hopefully, it uh, hopefully I was successful in passing it. But, uh, uh, I'm sure uh, Tom and I are putting a lot of work into it. The the size of the manuals you have to read is it's just immense compared to what I did for any of the open water, um, advanced or, or um, even rescue. Um, the book work and the knowledge reviews are just huge in this uh, rebreather stuff. Yeah, and if, if people happen to be new listeners to the show and you haven't gone back and you want to listen to Bob, uh, our tech diving friend, uh, talk about his rebreather experience. That's all the way back in episode number five when we had Bob on last. He should be due for another uh, another session then. <laughs> yeah, we we do. We 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 poke him every once in a while. But it seems like we just started just a few weeks ago. <laughs> so we we certainly appreciate you coming on, Steve, and, and talking about it. We look forward to hearing more. 
Uh, is, is there anything you want to plug real quick before we get on to the news? Um, just we're going to be at the Shipwreck Festival of Michigan this weekend. I know Jim's going to be there, so we're definitely going to say hi. Anybody else, stop by. Um, I'm going to be with the Aquatic Adventures um, booth there. Um, they've uh, they've got another few other product lines that they're going to be uh, on display and announcing at the show as well. So I think it's going to be a really good show. Uh, we're also actually going to be down at Scuba Fest as well, um, coming up uh, just a couple of weeks later. Excellent. Great. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll sign off so I can get into the chat room and, uh, and listen to the rest of the show. Okay. Well, well. Thank you again, Steve. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks once again, Steve, for coming on. I look forward to your experiences with Rebreather. We'll live vicariously through you until we come up with a big bucket of money for one ourselves. <laughs> Gosh, I, 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 I keep trying to do the math, and I just can't make it come out any way where I can get one. Well, I, I, I like that Poseidon. Uh, again, even three years ago, they were discussing and talking about breaking in newbies with the rebreathers. But again, they were talking in the environment where you're going to be down there for many days down in the warm water with visibility. So you could get through, you know, if you had to do this a couple of hours a week up here, take you forever. But if you can do an intense course down there where it's warm, uh, that's the best way to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you, you, you've got to get some time in. Uh, I've read several articles on on the training, and it, it's all about time. And I know some guys who've done Superman courses. Uh, was it Josh, Josh Bernstein, uh, who's a somewhat well-known uh, adventurer and uh, explorer, and he's been he, he's, he got a rebreather certified a couple of years back. And he went from you know nothing all the way through the most technical of rebreather dives. But he, I mean, when, when you have uh, the time to do it, it it's great. Because I think he did like two months solid of rebreather courses and dives. Because um, you have to have so many uh, hours in at each level, from what I understand, before the uh, agencies will give you the codes for the next level of uh, your rebreather capabilities. Yeah. I, I think it's really the smart way to do it is that highly intense because your retention factor, so you can get those habits started good. You know, when you're down there for two, three weeks at a time, give you that advantage. Well, and then one thing Bob's pointed out is that you kind of have to be self-sufficient with your maintenance. You're you're responsible for that gear, keeping it maintained. And if you've got something brand new right out of the box and you've got only got 10 dives on it and then you take it back to yourself, it's not the same as if you can get 30 or 40 or 60 dives on it and then, you know, do a good, sh- that's a good shakedown and tear the unit apart a few times and put it together while you've got some trainers or instructors there. Uh, so uh, exciting. I, I, I think it's where things are eventually going to head. You know, the way technology goes and everything else, we'll see these costs slowly creep down. They'll get better, get better redundancy. Uh, you know, I, I do see a day, you know, maybe it might not be, well, I'm, I'm still diving, but there'll be a day where you'll start out in dry suits and rebreathers. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the news. First article up is a follow-up from one we had a few months back in Maryville, Indiana, which is just around the corner from us here in Michigan. It's on the southern part of Lake Michigan. Uh, There was a dive shop that was supposed to be going in, and it's now been announced that the dive shop will not be going in. The uh, aquatic center uh, was unable to get uh, funding, so they've pulled back their application for the variants they were going for. So unfortunately, that, so that's a Goose's Scuba Shack and Dryer. Uh, they'll continue to work out of their current property. 
I was kind of wondering at the time when that was announced. That was that seemed pretty ambitious. You know, I, I was hoping that the the dive industry got to the point where it could support something like that, but uh, either they didn't have enough capital on their own, or the bankers or something got a little cold feet on that. Would have been interesting. Yeah, because I, I we really need I don't say new dive centers, but you've almost got to take it up a notch. I think that diving is transitioning, and the days of you know, a 400-square-foot shop in every town are gone. You're going to start getting larger and fancier dive centers, and those are going to be ones that are surviving the, the, that can offer some additional services. And that seemed to be the, the angle that they were going for. Yeah. And then we're pasting these notes into the chat room. Thanks, everybody who showed up. We had quite a good turnout. I'd like to see some more. You know, it's it's getting in the northern hemisphere. We're getting into our almost spring diving. So if you're need to get inspired, come on into the chat room and, and talk with us so you can help direct the show a little bit. Next up is a provincial board is looking to regulate scuba diving activities in provinces and reports in the, that's in response to reports of accidents involving tourists. And as always, it's a challenge to figure out where this is. <laughs> Do you have any idea, Mac, where this... Yeah, it's in Asia. And it's Asian. quite interesting because when you look through this one, they're talking about the violations for diving activities. This is a, a trend we've seen in the last couple of broadcasts where we've been talking about going overseas, getting some good diving in. And mm-hmm. in Asia, the Philippines, those areas, a lot of warm water, a lot of marine life. But it appears that they don't have quite the stringent requirements for boats and dive instructors. And looking at this one, this is, they're trying to tell you, you got to have 10 hours of completed classroom and pool water training activities. It sounds like the, uh, the uh, you go to Florida, you get what, the sport course? Yeah. That's what it sounds like here. But even 10 hours seems to be more than they get down there. I, I don't really know. The second article you have is another one um, identifying getting gouged by dive groups, especially during the heyday periods. Uh, where they're at that goes with this. Then the third article you have is good because it puts a perspective on it from our angle, I think. Yeah. So the the second one that Max referring to, oh crud, I just pasted this, the same one in. Is it? Oh, price gouging. Here we go. Yeah, because I saw that one and that just makes you, and that's sad. Well, this this person here just talks about like this revelation. Training should be done by a certified diving instructor. Well, hell yes. And this is should be able to use and have preventive maintenance on their equipment, demonstrate first aid, mouth-to-mouth, and CPR. Okay, I would think you'd have that on a tour or a boat, don't you think? Yeah. Why would you have to tell me I needed to do that? Well, what that's telling me is that there are some economies or countries where business hasn't matured to the point where there are systems that prevent people from running that. Like in the U.S., it would be a little bit more of a challenge to put together that type of operation just because of the liability. Yeah. For you to be able to get the boats involved and everything involved, you have too much at risk to put in an operation that's not being on the up and up and safe uh, due to liability and insurance costs. You You would be very rapidly shut down. Now, not to say there's not examples of it in pockets and some people are just plain careless. You know, usually mismanagement is where you run into that, where the owners started off with a good idea, but then over time put the wrong people in charge of their operations and then things kind of decay. But uh, some of these other countries where 
you know, they, who knows where they're getting their equipment, their practices, and they're running it through. There does seem to be a little bit of a risk. So it's, as a traveler, uh, probably makes sense to do a little bit of research of, of where you're going to be going. Right. And this area here, by the way, this is talking in the Philippines. In, in that, I would call it, it considered to be the Asian market. But this yeah. item here was from the Philippines, by the way. Yeah. But even here in the States, you've got the question of, you know, are you buying a ride or are you buying a dive trip? You know, there's a lot of boats that run out and take divers out to sites, uh, but don't have a dive master aboard or anyone who's technically trained uh, or certified as an instructor or a dive master. Well, we looked at that a little bit last year, and basically is if you go out with your buddies on a boat and they chip in for gas and there's an accident, then the owner of the boat is liable. Yeah. Because that is now a commercial venture, yeah, that, that, even that, though all they're doing is sharing the cost. Yeah, that's the, the same the, as if you fly. A little different is if you're not commercial, if your buddy shares the price of oil and gas, that's great. But if if you require them to, then it's a commercial item. Yeah. Well, now, okay, is that the same for on a boat? I mean, I'll, I'll take my boat, for example. I, I gladly accept the conditions for fuel, but I don't tell people they have to chip to go. And that's that's my out too. Is the same thing as it's a, uh, what, how do we phrase that? Not required, but but uh, appreciated. Mm-hmm. Well, and and to me, I mean, this is all splitting hairs because if the, the Coast Guard wants to, they're going to find a way of of nailing you. But uh, I mean, there's there's other ways that you're you know shore support meals afterwards. There's ways to avoid it being directly linked with the dive but what what they're trying to do is is to crack down on those operators who would be doing it as a business and then not following coast guard rules so they don't right, want short changing yeah yeah they, they they don't want you know you know the the local billy bob who's got a a boat that he shouldn't be driving alone let alone putting people in and then you know charging people 25 bucks a head to go out yeah i think the key is profit yeah if, yeah, if well, and that, to, yeah. To me, that's the intent, you know. And then also, yeah. what's the relationship? Are these your your buddies and friends? And you know, are you you know, what's the relationship? If it's somebody you've never met, and they and you're advertising online or in Craigslist that you're going to take people out, then that's that's definitely going to get you labeled a commercial operation. Now, yeah. back on the dive masters on a boat, I've read where that seems to depend on in the United States what part of the country. Uh, in places where it's heavily tourist, they tend to have it where there's a dive master and it's more of a training, where even if you are an experienced diver, uh, it can be a challenge to do the type of dive you want because they, they want to treat everybody the same as a as a green rookie who, who doesn't have a lot of experience, where uh, in the Midwest, it tends to be more of a of a taxi where, you know, you, you, you get on the boat and they you know, they snag the wreck and they say, okay, go in, see in an hour. So, and and I think that's up to, you know, most of our listeners are, are probably a little bit more on the experience side, uh, but it does make sense that you need to qualify that. You know, what are you expecting from that dive operator? Uh, you know, are they, are, what kind of briefing are they going to give you on the, the wreck? You know, what kind of conditions? Because we've dove on wrecks that aren't rookie wrecks. Well, like you said, it's the intent. Are you just providing me with a way to get from point A to point B, period, or are you promising me other items. Very true. Yep. Now, kind of back on the second article. Um, price gouging. The, the price gouging. They say the packages 
could cost 360 was that yen, which is uh, Hong Kong dollars of 450 for three photos, or 780 yuan for 970 dollars for 24 photos. And they said the diving packages are priced at 400 to 500 yuan, and they usually include some photos, but tour operators who are making visitors pay for more or separate packages, and if you refuse to pay, they were taking out of the water abruptly without being taught how to equalize pressure. See, that makes absolutely no sense to me, how you as a consumer would tolerate that. Well, what it sounds like is it's one of those things where it's like kind of like a cattle call course where, and, and is this hookah? That's what I'm trying to figure out. What type of conditions are they on? Is this where it's a tropical beach location and they're just, it's one of those bucket list type of things where yeah. you're, you, you pay your whatever, you know, 400 won here. And they they throw you in the water. You go down, snap two photos, and you come back. Then you can tell your buddies that you're a scuba diver, and you know you never do it again. As, as a side note, just for clarification, that Chinese one to the dollar, it's five hundred, and it's called CNY, is approximately a little over eighty dollars USD. Okay, so the diving package is eighty bucks, which you know I think you can it'd be be pretty similar to going down to Florida. Yeah, maybe a little bit less expensive because you you um it sounds like that's including gear and training. I mean, this is a I would call these resort courses. If if they need to show somebody how to equalize, then yeah. that's telling me that they're 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 not investing a whole lot of time in advance. They're they're not getting even three or four hours of classroom. They're probably ten minutes on the dock. Yeah. As another side note, uh, when you were looking at the H D, that's like Hong Kong dollars. Uh huh. That was the difference because I first looked at that and said, man, it's awful expensive for photos. Yeah. So I converted that out. So it's all those pic- pixels. It's, they're charging you by the pixels. Yeah. Well, then here we got uh, Qatar is going high tech. So they said that the closed circuit rebreathers, which we talked about early, are getting to be more popular. They said they're now the first choice of uh, the diving elite. And they say it's due to the advanced hardware and software. The increased safety enables approach marine life much more closely with minimal disturbance. So they go in, and this is uh, the same model that Steve was talking about, the Poseidon MK6. So just uh, maybe giving us an idea of things to come. Now, I'm, I'm picturing that in those countries. Uh, they're wealthy are fairly well off. Next one, it says weather drives business owner around the bend. And he seems to be crying a little bit, and this one's out of Australia, that the that he's had 17 consecutive days where he has not been able to get people in the water because of an ex-tropical cyclone, Oswald. Now, if you're a charter boat captain and you depend on that every day, 17 days is a hell of a lot. It is, but I guess in Michigan where I'm looking at, you've got months of a t- at a time where you can't get people in the water. Uh yeah, and I guess it just it depends on what your overhead costs are. Are you? I mean, do you have more than one boat? Do you have three boats? Is it hitting in your peak season? Yeah, you, know, you need that cash flow uh, to get things going, so that can hurt. But I just I looked at that and I'm thinking, gosh, we've how many we've had that? We've had June. We gotten blown out the whole month of June just because of the weather. And yeah. you can't you can't always get in the water when the weather's nice. It seems like you got a streak of nice Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and every weekend is four to six feet. <laughs> Well, you know what they say. You know what always follows Sunday, right? What's that? A sunny day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, we blame Chicago for that. It's all that driving during the week makes the the conditions bad in the lake. 
Next article comes from the BBC. Endangered sharks are returning to Bahamas home. Uh, they're saying that these sharks, which are thought to be a wide-ranging animal, they tagged them in a study, and they said that they're coming back to spots they had been before, so they're a little surprised. I thought it was interesting. They noted that the female shark doesn't roam around as much as the male. Now, of course, a lot of people are <laughs> going to say that's true anyway, but I don't know. <laughs> it it does, does, does seem to make sense, though. Well, like they say, you rove too far and you get your, your fin cut off. What can they say? Yeah, yeah. maybe they've learned. You know, the, 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 the homeboys are the, the ones who are keeping their fins intact. And then uh, another, that's followed up with another shark story. And this one could almost be the, the same angle. They're, they said they're calling this shark a homebody. Or is this, is this the same article? Yeah, because the, uh, the picture is one of the one we just looked at. <laughs> it is. But but it covers different items. Yeah, but again, just talking about some of the environmental studies that they're doing. This well, one talks saying, about some of the money. Well, they were saying some of the travel times or distances is like four thousand kilometers. So they do roam around a little bit. Yeah, that's that's they might if they call that a homebody then. And then, like you said, the the item they were talking about here with the tagging and how much that cost. Yeah, they're spending some dough. Yeah, well, they said a, what a satellite tag is four thousand dollars each. Yeah. So if you catch that, to take the fin off, and you keep that, it looks like you're going to make twice as much money because you can sell that back to somebody. So what we need to do is figure out how to make artificial fins, where you just, like, make some fake fins and sell them to China. I mean, they do that with, <laughs> with handbags and shoes. Yeah. We should do the same thing. And just because you get scallops don't really mean that scallops. Yeah. Cut into a circle. We could take some chicken and just mold it into a fin shape and send it over there. <laughs> I wouldn't feel guilty. Careful now, they'll get the PETA on you for growing chickens in thin shape. Yeah, uh, they, I don't think they like me. And here's some citizen science, seafaring science. Sailors are being asked to help measure plankton. Scientists are enlisting sailors and fishermen to help with what they hope will be the world's biggest study of plankton in the oceans. Now, this, this was really actually interesting uh, for those who haven't looked at that yet. The significant aspect that he's talked about is that they believe the, the plankton there has diminished 40% since 1950. That seemed like a huge amount. But if you're saying that the oceans are getting more polluted and toxic or that the acidification is affecting the, the life, that would be uh, something you'd want to know. And they say it's due to it's also warming up. But one would thought it would have an enhanced growth. You know, that's the, the, the thing with warming up is the waters have been much warmer, and there are waters that are warmer. So I'm not saying that warming up the oceans is necessarily a good thing, but it seems like that there, as one species or set of species in the ecosystem uh, diminishes, something else will exploit it, which is some of the blooms that we have, yeah. and also uh, some of the invasive species coming in the areas are also taking advantage of these changing conditions. Uh, so I... I that, that I mean, it would definitely be something to study. I, you'd want to know. Now, what they're doing is they're is they're wanting these civilians to take uh, studies, and they're it's the God, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. The is it Sechi disc? Yeah. That they do, which it's a white disc, and it has a pattern on, and you suspend that down in the water it's to measure vertical uh, clarity. And when you get to a point when you can't see it anymore, then that's the distance that you log. Now, 
what they're calling bad is what I think I would call good. Because I, w- I was actually thinking that we would, uh, that, you know, if I, if I took these numbers and the, vis- the clarity got better, that that meant that there was less pollutants in the water. Well, depending on the type of item you're talking, turbidity, which is different because of that particulate and suspension versus plankton aspect. Yeah, but if you're using the same instrument to measure and you're just saying when you can't see it, how can you tell the difference? True. And and if you use the type they use up by St. Clair, for example, you've got that disc quartered into quarters and yes. then you have a hatch mark part mm-hmm. into it. And that's what they help use to determine the turbidity or the clarity of that if you're going to do a dive up there, how much visibility do I really have? And that's independent of looking for a plankton or anything like that. Well, exactly. So that's what I... Yeah, I, w- I would be cheering. I'd be going, "Hey, great! It's clear." And in their this case, they're saying that it's cl- it would be clear because there's less plankton in the water. So to me, it almost seems that you would do this as kind of an initial study, but you're going to have to come back and do testing some other way because you want to you want to test you know what is the density of the plankton you know water samples uh, from different levels of the water to get uh, uh, an estimate population. And yeah. then you also want to know, you know, like you said, is it the turbidity or is there something else? And depends on how the turbulent the water is. If you're in a, a lake pond, totally different, uh, or in a, um, a deadheaded area, it'll be different than if you're in the open water where you have wave action, wind action. On the surface, it'll go down several feet. Yeah. So I'm not sure how effective or how valid that kind of reading is for plankton. Yeah. I, I think one of the, as the article goes, uh, talks about, uh, you know, Father was a Petreo Angelo Secchi uh, used the gauge in the Mediterranean in 1865. So the nice thing about this is if you use the same device and areas have been being measured for hundreds of years, you're going to be able to do some conclusions. But then, like we were talking about before, you don't, you, we might not necessarily know why the visibility is better or worse. Well, next one is divers plan a little bit of a litter pickup. And I was surprised to see this, not because divers want to clean up, but just the time of year. Uh, this is in the U.K., and there's the British Subaquatic Club has arranged for the cleanup to be the 2nd of March. Isn't it a I, little chilly? I noticed everybody in that picture ain't wearing wet. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're all, they're all dry suit divers. Yeah, they got all neck dams there. Yep, and they said two years ago they found a, a second World War II mortar bomb has found near the end of a jetty, and it was removed by the Army. I'm more interested in the clay pipes and the glass bottles. <laughs> yeah. Well, you figure the history there. Was is it, Did they say which river this was in the U.K.? No, but that's the whole item. I mean, they've been there for centuries upon centuries. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're good for 200 years here in the lake. Yeah. Oh, that would, you're right. That'd be, there'd be plenty to find. Uh, they said that they only expect experienced divers to take part because of the hostile conditions. Clay pipes. Gosh, I need to get in the water. I bet my I bet my BC's almost completely dried out. <laughs> yeah, but I'll get your wetsuit on. Well, it it did. Well, yeah, it doesn't it didn't stay wet as long as it used to. <laughs> There's well, less of it stay wet. It drains fast. Yeah, it's kind of like a sponge. Um, next up is deep sea under the deep. Thank goodness, deepest undersea vents have been discovered by a UK team. Uh, they re- deployed a remotely operated vehicle in the Cayman Trough, and they came across a previously unknown site nearly 5,000 meters below the surface. The videos relayed back to the research ship 
showing spindly smoking chimneys up to 10 meters high. Uh, so the, the events are some of the strangest features in the deep ocean. They were not known until the 70s. Uh, then three years ago, vents were first detected in the Cayman Trough, each transformed by the boundary between the two tectonic plates. One of the vents, known as the BB, is established as the deepest on record until the discovery last week with another slightly deeper set at 4,968 meters or a scant three miles. So a little bit uh, below my diving range. Just a hair. Some of the other pictures that I looked at down further, they got some good lights because the visibility is darn good with the lights down there. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you figure all the advancements we're having in dive lights, they have to be doing the same thing on their lights. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can pack... Because LED for the first thing, because they're, they're taking all batteries down there. So if you could double the LEDs and get twice the battery life, they'd be silly not to do that. Yeah. And then, gosh, just the clarity. That is just amazing. It's just, just amazing. amazing the different sea life, though, that they have. Yeah, they, they had, uh, was it that shrimp there, a vent shrimp? And yeah, it, a really hairy-looking thing. I'm just, that's amazing there. Fireworm. I wonder why they call it the fireworm. I don't know. It does kind of have a little red tinge to it, maybe. Yeah, but I wonder what it eats. It probably has to do with a grant. You name it a certain thing, they've they've calculated they get more grant money. Yeah. Well, you're talking the water there is about 750 degrees Fahrenheit, so uh, it's a little toasty. I don't think I have to worry about getting too too cold down there. Yeah. Just just warm up or you know run your uh, ROV or uh, bathysphere through the vent. Uh, I just wonder how far that spreads out until you get to. Like, say, 40 degrees, well, 50 I, degrees. I've wondered that, like in uh, Hawaii, when they've had lava go in the water and you see it, the lava pillowing out and instantly boiling and vaporizing that water, turning it into steam underwater, is how far away before it, the mass of the, the ocean just makes it like nothing's happening? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure somebody does, but uh, I don't. <laughs> and then Microsoft yeah, they're not going to let Google be the only one who's got mapping of the undersea world. Bing Maps has added uh, 13 million square kilometers of high-resolution data, and that includes better ocean mapping. So they're using uh, Terracolor data. It will show the most zoomed-out world viewing, fresh information on certain locations, reduce cloud inf- information. It's at a total of 13,992,276 square kilometers of high-resolution satellite imagery has been added. Now, what they failed to tell you, I mean, if you've looked at the pictures, significantly mm-hmm. different, right? Yeah. All right. You've got to remember, the military satellites they've had up have been doing this for many, many years. Their resolution, if this is good for what you're looking now as a civilian, you can bet your buttons that the military equivalent is generations better than this. Does anybody remember when the Sarajevo Olympics was? Oh, Sarajevo? Yeah, twenty maybe twenty years ago or so. That was Yugoslavia. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was before the, uh, the 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 war that they had over there. I I can remember the opening ceremony uh, for the Olympics. They started off with a satellite photo of Europe, and then just kept zooming in, zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. Until they finally showed you someone sitting in the stands reading the program for the Olympics. You could see the Olympic header on the, the program somebody had sitting in the stands. And I'm thinking at that time, this is commercial. 
Imagine what the military's got. Well, that's like when you used to get good satellite photos commercially, you notice they were all French. And the reason being is because the military did not want to show theirs to show you how much they had seen. But I, my fond story is years ago back in the military at Shawfield Air Force Base, back in the 60s, there's a picture of a ping pong ball in, in one of the headquarters areas. And you could read, it was on the table, read Japan, you just looked at it. And then you looked at the next series, and it was a photo of the base. Then the next series was the photo of South Carolina. And the bottom line is that was a photo taken from one of our satellites at the ping pong ball that was in the quadrangle of the area that they had taken from a satellite that long ago. And that was in the 60s. Yeah. When, well, when I was in uh, Redstone Arsenal back in the same vintage, they were working on cameras that they'd go out and take a picture of our parking lots after everybody left, and then they'd tell you who parked their car where <laughs> from the heat signatures. It was really weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, it, it, we talk about this, but the other thing is the rights for the data. Yeah. Is uh, like if we, if we go out to Mars, where they've had the, the satellites or the spacecraft orbiting, the camera manufacturer who made the camera that went onto the the vehicle owned the copyright to the photos, and I didn't. I never understood that. I'd love to have somebody explain to me how that worked out. How you buy a camera from me, and I still somehow am able to get you to give me the rights to it. The only thing I can think of is it was a some sort of the same thing with the satellites. They wanted to control. They didn't want the raw data to go to people so that they would understand the quality that was there. It had to go through some inter intermediary who technically owned the images so they could be down downgraded to be distributed. Yeah, The legalities of a copyright are quite interesting. They're not as black and white as people think. Uh, aside, Mark, I was looking up some stuff the other day from, from that aspect, is if you were to go on somebody's property to take a very nice picture of a... Uh, Let's say the piers in St. Joe, mm -hmm. and it was a very nice picture, and you made some money. That picture does not belong to you. If you trespassed, it belongs to the owner of the property and where you sat with your camera to take that picture. Oh, okay. Because you trespassed, that's their item, and the royalties will go to them. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot. The thing that you know, we we like to think that the the laws are logical, and they were they were meant to reinforce the economy at the time. And to encourage or discourage certain behavior or to create an economic benefit. And that's why copyrights were done the way they were with books. And why ever since business has been trying to, to twist that rule. And maybe as much as we don't like where some of the business is taking it, it's kind of the natural evolution is for the government to support business models, which eventually make them money. Yeah. So how we got from that from high-resolution <laughs> underwater photos. But uh, what, what, the other thing that made me think about this is with new data, does it make sense to go back and review some of the locations that we've been diving? Does it make sense to go and look at these maps and correspond with where we know wrecks are and maybe there's additional data to be gleaned? Because I can remember when Google first came out, there were people who had never dove who were finding wrecks. Yeah. So, so if this is the next generation of, of images, you know, we, we, we might be able to get lucky. And plus, it, it depends on the conditions at the time the satellite went over. If you've got, like we had a little while ago, where you got some extra clear conditions you know, in, the, in the early spring, late winter, you might be able to get down 100 feet 
in Lake Michigan. Works for me. So more. We want more photos. And then again, talking about money, we have these two uh, UC Santa Clara grad students who have changed what they're going after. Well, if you can get an eighty-five thousand dollars, go for it. Yeah. So they. So uh, let's see where they're going. They're they're in the Mediterranean Sea, and uh, these two divers were going through Neptune grass. They were in a marine ecology field quarter, and uh, their discovery of this grass took them in a new direction. Because what they, I guess, what what was it? It was had to do with it blossoming. They said it was something unusual they didn't expect. The green buds are forming at the base of the grass shoots. Uh, Neptune grass produces flowers about every 10 years. It normally grows by sending out runners under the seafloor to create clusters of genetically identical plants. But they said it is a rare season of sexual reproduction. We came up from the dive, and we were just so excited. Sound like warriors to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to be pretty hard up to be getting into plant sex. Uh, concentrated in a 10-foot cluster, which I thought might be genetically distinct colonies, but without proper funding, genetic study remained a pipe dream. So they reached out to scientists across Europe, learned that the flowering event was widespread. They could find genes unique to some more productive plants across the Mediterranean. They could target them for transplanting. Uh, so they rushed a proposal National Science Foundation, which offered them 85000 in support. So they're now preparing to spend March and April working alongside European researchers in coastal France, Spain, and Croatia. Gosh, must be rough. Said so once we get the results, the next things we're going to do is go down to Elkinsloe. Uh, he says grateful to be part of the Marine Ecology Field Corps, the program unique to the U.S. Uh, UCSC. I think it came at the right time. We were rightly prepared to take advantage of it. Why wouldn't they take some, put it in a controlled environment, and see all that in a controlled environment? Well, what it sounds like they're trying to do is not so much just take cuttings or seeds from the plant as they're trying to determine if there's something unique about the variety of strains. Cause it's, and I'm trying to see if it was somewhere here. They were talking about that the similar plants off of California had been dying off. So, But you got to be careful of that. You can, I mean, in, in one aspect, we're talking about invasive species, and then they're almost encouraging bringing invasive species because they want another means. So is it no good deed goes unpunished? And then we have a ghost ship. I just love the idea of a ghost ship. A damn big ship. <laughs> it's not like a, a little tiny thing. That's why I don't understand why somebody doesn't take a tug, throw a rope over that or a cable, and tow that baby to port. Because it looks like it'd be worth a lot of freaking money, at least from... from Taking it apart and selling the steel. Yeah. Just br just bring it into the Great Lakes and we will make it an artificial reef. Yep. So the ship, which is the Labove or Lova, which is being towed from Canada to Dominican Republic for scrap metal, when the tug line broke, it was cast off to sea, and there have been attempts to secure the boat that have failed in the past, leading people to believe the boat would be lost for good. But the ship owner Reza Saboyabi said, I'm trying my best. I'm talking to a few people in Ireland salvage companies, perhaps to partner up with them and to retrieve her. What makes the mission extra tricky is the fact that the ship's GPS is broken as well. Well, put a spot on it, you know. <laughs> throw a cell phone on it with a charger. I mean, it kind of sounds like it was a really low-budget operation, does it? doesn't it? Sounds like something. Yeah, here, here, let me take a little bit of this, this cord here and we'll tie it off. Wow. So, so this giant boat, and how big is that? Do they say? They don't say. That's got to be a 400-plus foot 
That's... This was actually in the Herald Palladium uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, was it? <laughs> and it gave the size, I just don't recall, but I'm looking at what? Looks like four different devices amidships. That, I mean, that's, like you said, 400 feet plus. That looks like a bolt carrier, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. They said a cruise ship, but I don't I don't know why. It, that does not look like a cruise ship. So you figure it's probably got to be 30, 40 years old if they're scrapping it out. It, it became no longer economically viable. Yeah, I can't believe it's a cruise ship. I just don't remember what it said it actually was. Yeah. God, so it's just kind of floating out in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> Can you say hazard to navigation? Yeah. Yeah, I, that's, that's that's why like, you want to have radar. Yeah. But, yeah, like like Jim was saying, I'd certainly love to have that thing uh, parked uh, just a little bit off the pier. Uh, that show one? How did they spell L-U-B-L-P? Yeah. Um, okay. That ain't the same ship that uh, is what we're talking about. This is, this is L-Y-U-B-O-V. Okay. That picture is not the right picture. <laughs> oh, it's not? No, it's a 1976 Yugoslavian-built ice-strengthened cruise ship, and I'm looking at the picture of it, and that ain't the same picture we're looking at on the other. <laughs> so somebody just took... Well, I was wondering... Yeah, so somebody just took a photo, took a, a stock photo that looked like a ghost ship because it was kind of misty. Yeah, and that's named after a Russian film star. Okay. Yeah, because that that vessel in the photo does not look like a cruise ship. So okay. No, I'll send you a link because that when you look at this, it's like, well, duh. <laughs> uh, quality reporting. Let's see. I what, a link. What was this? A cafe moms dot com. So I don't know if they're. Known for the high world of literary excellence. Amazing. Actually, she's, and furthermore, <laughs> and that's where all the gold was buried. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as nobody else knows except us, we're okay. Well, you mentioned that, and uh, this last, was it Friday or Saturday on one of the channels? They had, uh, you know, they have the gold rush shows. Uh, you know, the, they got the dredgers who are in Alaska who are dredging for gold out in the the scuba yeah. divers, uh-huh. and then they had the uh, gold rush where the guys are doing the the gold mining, and I, I I just can't get enough of those. They've got a silver rush. Did you see that one? No. The silver rush was actually STEM of Odyssey, and they're showing uh, like a season of his crew and three ships where they they brought up the silver. We covered that earlier in the year. Oh. I'll have to I'll have to find the actual show and send you. A, a link to it, but oh my gosh, it just makes you want to drool. But uh, and and kind of the local information nobody cares about stems actually from the town here at Berrien Springs. Uh, his dad was a music teacher and insurance instructor at the school, and when he used to go into his insurance office, he used to have a gold bar that was sitting on the desk, and that was from uh, I think it was the Atosha. Wow, because he was one of the original investors. What's that? I wouldn't leave it laying out at the price of gold nowadays. Well, probably, probably he's cashed it in, I would guess, by now. Huh. But that was uh, when uh, recently after they they first started distributing the gold. But, yeah, the, the show talked. That- Hundreds of millions of dollars in silver if they're going to pull off that wreck. And then the gear. Yeah, the, the gear that they had. Yeah, And and they, they also learned after Spain took all that other stuff, now they're nego- they negotiate in advance. 
because that's probably what they should have done with that one. But they they thought they had it. If you you, you negotiate with the country, go you want it, we'll get it for you. But that's the only way. We'll split it fifty fifty. Well, here's a new here's a potential sport for us: underwater golf event in La Jolla this weekend. Well, I don't think you'd lose your balls in the water. Yeah, well, not with shrinkage. Uh, they explain that the divers uh, throw 10-inch long rubberized torpedoes, and that's not a euphemism, into buckets at five holes throughout the underwater course. They play so it's like underwater frisbee golf. Yep, 20 to 40 feet underwater. He said the idea was born out of a daydream. So the game is open to certified divers. Players should bring or rent their dive equipment, cameras, and a competitive spirit. So it's the first time the dive shop has hosted the games. It's kind of it's a swimming pool. It's interesting. But I don't know, would that be enough to keep you interested? That would be something neat to try, but you did it once, and I think you'd be pretty much done. Yeah. It's like throwing the bean bags with those little holes in the board. Yeah. I mean, it's, no. it's safer than lawn darts. Yeah. Well, it depends who you're playing with. Kind of another tangent, Jim Kleeman got me hooked on that Duck Dynasty. Yeah, I read about that. Oh, my goodness. that It's so stupid, it makes me want to cry. <laughs> you just... That, that 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 they would be the type injured by beanbags. <laughs> but uh, yeah, see, now I could see this like you could do this could be like a, so like say NASCAR for diving would be the scooters and this could be like the mid race or heat activity could be an underwater golf. So it's interesting. I, I'm, any any time a new sport can get going and it involves diving, I'm all for it. Okay, gosh, and that wow, we that that does it for the for the news. We we got through it. Two weeks worth of news crammed into a measly well, less than four hours. <laughs> we did miss one though, and I was curious about that. Oh, did I? Yeah, down on his luck, California apartment manager plans to rob a Catalina Island bank using scuba gear. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's the next section. This is a scuba movie. This is a new release from Fox Cinema on their archives. They're, it's kind of like uh, DVD on demand, where instead of doing their normal 20 million presses of a, of a movie, they're, they've come up with a program where they make limited releases of DVDs for people who are into uh, niche films. So in 1965, there's a 73-minute movie, Raiders from Beneath the Sea. So uh, the movie's premise was a down-on-his-luck California apartment house manager Plans to rob the bank and escape using scuba gear. So I was, I'm cheap, but I'm 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 tempted. I'd love to see the movie because you because 65. That this had to have been when scuba diving was kind of getting popular. Now it was an edgy thing, so that would be a unique twist. Well, I looked it up. I was trying to find out who was in that to see if I really would be interested in it. I'm gonna guess it's a B movie. Yeah, yeah. Or a D movie. <laughs> Yeah, let's see. Is it even in the? Well, let's what? Let's go do the great big book of everything. The internet. Uh, what was it? Movie database online. It sounded like it was Italian. Uh, no, that was a drum. Sorry about that. So IMDb, and let's see if I put in that movie, Raiders from Beneath the Sea. Are you that again? Raiders from Beneath the it's, Sea. Here, let me. Nineteen sixty what? 1965, and here we go. I'll give you. So it's got a 3.5 out of 10. <laughs> Let's see. The cast is Ken Scott as Bill Harper, Mary Anders as Dottie Harper, 
Russ Bender is Tucker. So far, none of these have photos on IMDb. Booth Coleman is Purdy. Garth Benton is Clifford Buddy Harper. And then it's Bruce Anderson as policeman number one. And then you know, there's there's nobody. Actually, Mary Andrews, I just gave up a picture on her. She was damn cute back then. Well, should we know her? I'm looking at her face. It looks like I've seen her in Bonanza. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's what she was then. That's why. Oh, she said she, she was known for married... How to Marry a Millionaire in 57, Tickle Me in 65, All That Heaven Allows in 55, and Death Set in 57. Yep. So she was in Gunsmoke yep. as Shirley. Real McCoy's, Jack Webb's, Lassie, and 77 Sunset Strip, and three Perry Masons. Now, she just died, she died recently, October 2012. Oh, that's why they released it. They don't have to pay her anymore. <laughs> yeah, be held to collect royalties. Yeah, Never Too Young TV series. Interesting. Yeah, so she had a, she had a few years. Eh? She did quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they don't have a photo. This shows she didn't have an agent. Oh, well, and, and, I don't know where I was at, but it was a nice photo of her. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then, so Ken Scott, so he had top billing. What else did he do? He was in Knight Rider, the TV series. That was the last thing he did. Scarecrow and Miss, Mrs. King. Stephen. Yeah, uh, the TV series. That was in 83. A Double Exposure, Little House on the Prairie, The Fall Guy, Quincy Emmy, Heart to Heart, Galactica, the 1980 TV series, Dallas. So he did a lot of bit parts. It didn't look like he had a whole lot of regular spots. Starsky and Hutch, Mission Impossible. Yeah, so these weren't, uh, you know, probably at the time when they were in the movie, they were considered to be pretty big billing. So it might not be a bad one to watch. Of course, it didn't get it didn't didn't get a good rating. Yeah. But I'm always looking for those scuba movies. Now I I put this under the category of potentially cool scuba gear, but it's not, it's not really quite scuba gear. It's more of almost anti scuba gear. A tsunami proof pod. An inventor is going to test it over the Niagara Falls. Julian Sharp. Got to get for that trip. Yeah, Julian Sharp fifty believes his disaster proof pod will save people from tidal waves, tornadoes. Hurricanes, earthquake, and superstorms. I just sent you a picture of it. It is really neat, and I see no problem of it working. I've always wanted to do that anyway. Well, the thing that's amazing is can he get approval? Because isn't that one of the big no-nos is you can't ride anything over? Well, yeah. don't ask. Yeah, just don't yeah. ask and pay the, pay the fine when you're done. Absolutely. Did you go to that site I just sent you? Yeah, I'm trying to see where your link went to me. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I had the other window going. You find it or not? Yeah, I just I just got it. Oh. At looks least like you got you the pod Mac, I was going to say, it looks like you could put a balloon on that and take it to our space, or uh, near near space, and then do a balloon, or do a, a free fall out of it. Hey, that works for me. Kind of looks like the pod the guy used for that record-setting free fall jump. Hmm. A little more exotic than that one, though. <laughs> yeah, this is a British engineer. Huh. Yeah, because I was watching one of these inventing reality shows on tv and they had somebody who was making one and it, well, it's not this one but it was a kind of the same idea and they didn't get the funding from the inventors they 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 thought it was a good idea but it needed some refinement this one's even smaller this is a, looks like a single person the other guy was making a like a two-person capsule he says he hopes the capsules holding up the six people sell between 650 pounds and 3200 pounds Prototype shown at the expo is going to go into production soon. Huh, cool. Would you try it? Well, maybe. 
I don't know if I go off the Niagara Falls though. As long as you don't hit the rock downstairs, you know, down there at that first little hole, that'll be interesting. Yeah, it's just that, you know, even though you're landing in water, it's still deacceleration. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, you know, if I was convinced it was survivable, I would, <laughs> I'd give it a shot. Well, then it wouldn't be a challenge. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that have been tried that they, you know, it's like I, I'm, I'm not going to take a pair of wings glued to me and jump off a skyscraper either. Well, How about a barn roof? Barn roof, Bob. You're acting like I haven't already done that. Barn roof would maybe be a low shed. We we used to jump off a friend's roof. We would uh, there's a tree out the the balcony, and we would jump from the balcony, grab the top of the tree, and we discovered that the tree would just about bend to the ground. You'd let go, and it would spring back up. Except that after about 20 times of doing it, it didn't bend up anymore. And you, when his parents got home, they looked out the kitchen window and you could see the top of the tree was about three inches from the ground. So, uh, yeah, we, we got in a little trouble for that one. Well, if you looked at the voting for that, I went to a different site. It just says, what are the chances of Julian Sharp getting the approval to go over Niagara Falls? And at 65% says, not a chance. And 35 says, hey, if Walindo can get a okay to walk a wire across it, Sharp has a chance. Yeah. Well, I think part of it's just a publicity, too. I mean, even if he doesn't get a chance to do it, how many people talked about it? Yeah. Well, and then we've got some photos, underwater photos, take a look at. Trapped in a shark feeding frenzy. Kind of go with a shark theme. A scuba diver found himself in the midst of a frenzy in Australia. It looks like they were baited, doesn't it? That looks like a hell of a big grouper in that one shot. Up yeah. by the sharks? That's not a shark. That's a grouper. It was a grouper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's a huge grouper. Yes, he is. He's about as big. He's as big as the sharks. Yeah. Look in the background. Those are not shark either. That's uh, tuna, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think there are. It's, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you're right. You got the tuna. I wonder why all those guys are yanking at the chain. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you wonder what was on the chain. Yeah, because there's got what four. Yeah. Ah, uh, they said the feeding frenzy happens on sharks are excited by the presence of lots of food, such as shoal of sardines. It begins when the sharks start thrashing around wildly and launch into attack mode. The fervor can cause the sharks to turn on each other. So oh, you're scoop- looking at the picture where the one shark is looking at the four meals sitting on the bluff, and he's wondering which one to take? Yeah. Is this my good side? Can you get my photo? <laughs> Do I look fat in this? Uh, I can't see that guy sitting on the coral there in a shorty. Yeah. The guy on the right, too. I I think it's going to be a little rash. Yeah, uh, who knows? I got photo credits, so somebody sent the photo in. Did you see the bottom part? Adam Strange, 46. Killed. Yeah, that that just happened a couple of days ago uh, off of Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah. In Tara's neck of the woods. Yeah, he was attacked uh, by four sharks in a frenzy. See, I didn't read that it a bit that it was a frenzy that he was in, but they yeah they said he had, he was known to be an outdoorsman. He was swimming and they got him. Uh, they shot at the shark, which is that normal gear for lifeguards as a shotgun or uh, I mean a rifle? I think it might be in New Zealand. Infested time of you know, area at this time of year. Yeah. They well, said the, it was a first fatal incident involving a shark in the country for 37 years. 37 years. Yeah. I, I saw something earlier that said that they had had a hundred and some fatalities recorded historically. Or at least attacks, so that might not have been fatality. So this is the first fatality in 37 years. And I did have a video of the week, but it didn't come through my my notes. I 
I, what I do is I, I review the, the items and I send links to myself. So when I get a chance to, uh, edit them, I can, and it just had the title and no link. So, oh, well, it was a video of a woman hitching a ride on a, on a white shark, great white shark. So. As a note, by the way, on the one we just looked at, I was staged and they created the frenzy by the bucket of food at the bottom of the chain. <laughs> before they rattled the chain, the food migrated up, floated up. Mm-hmm. Well, they said that some, what some of the areas are getting ready to start outlawing the baiting practice because they, they think it contributes to the injuries. It's drawn the, the sharks in and uh, disrupts their natural behavior. Yeah, I, I think I saw one, too, like that at the National Park where it says, don't feed the bears. Feeding them makes them dependent upon you feeding them. Seems like it would do that. Okay, well, we've gone through. We had the interview Boy, again with, go ahead. I was just going to say there's a whole lot of comment that could be made on uh, um, social interaction and, and uh, government programs after Max's last comment. But we'll, we'll just <laughs> let that ride for another night. <laughs> <laughs> I was just stirring the pot there a little bit. Oh, there's so much. Yeah, you, you put it out there. You just threw that low, slow hanging curveball, and I just had to swing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, you know, you got sharks and individuals who should be eaten by sharks, and it's all kind of works out in the end. Mm. So diving, has anybody got any diving in? Well, I tried. Actually, so you were in Florida. I was in Florida. What that fell in the water or something off the boat? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I spent a week down there. We were going to go out on a Wednesday night, and I just wasn't ready for a night dive, a uh, drifting dive in Florida because it had been so long since I'd been wet. So we opted to go out Friday during the day. There was a boat full coming in, you know, a large group. We were just going to tag along with this group, and they were calling for three to fours Friday morning. And this group said, no, that's too rough for us. And I'm saying three to fours on the ocean? Come on, guys. And you can see. <laughs> that's ripples in the pond in Lake Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's know? like that's like six inches to a foot in Lake Michigan. Yeah. But they blew the dive off, so the dive boat didn't want to go out for just two of us. Mm. So we passed. Well, that's too bad. And then Sunday they had a fatality on that dive boat. Oh, so That's never any good. No. So how about you, Mac? Uh, Mr. Curtis and I got out on uh, Saturday. Mary Beth and Jake came out, shore support, and Larry came down. Uh, I think the water was maybe 38. Current was rippy a little bit, so if you stayed toward the shallower parts, you had something to hang on to. But if you got out deep, you were going for a ride. Uh, visibility was probably 3, 5 max. Uh, and they've been a lot of turnover on the bottom because there's bottles everywhere. Oh, my goodness. You had to tell me that. And no leaves. Yeah, so we must have had some good uh, some good currents coming through then. Yep. I mean, just getting down there, there's plates and stuff, uh, oh. bottles, a good number of broken milks. Uh, well, yeah. The, so that what that tells me is that some of the areas, because I kind of picture where you're talking about. Yeah, we went upstream. Oh, you went upstream. Upstream left. Oh, I have never found anything upstream there. Oh, you're kidding, man. That's where I was getting those big milk bottles, the good ones. No. You looked at no. the picture we posted, didn't you? You can see where we're at. Well, I saw, well, let me, okay, now I'm going to have to go. For those who want to follow along, go to mudclub.scubobsess.com. And is this in the treasures? No, it's on the front page for Fresh Mud. 
Can you see a picture? I, I think I saw that. The, the marmot launch there in Niles? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They left the boat dock in, which was a little silly. They did? Yeah. That's the first year they've done that. Usually they got it pulled out about the time we do the turkey dive. Yes, that is correct. I mean, it made a good staging platform, so the guys knocked off about a foot of snow off, making at least 10 to us out there. Hmm. But you can see where the tree, tree outcroppings, you can see part of the tank. He's maybe in three foot of water. No, I uh, see right where you're at. I've been there a dozen times. It's just sand. There's bulls there, man. Oh, man. Those tree roots. You know what? That makes sense if you think about it, that as the that bank is eroded, yeah, it's that's what we're diving in downstream is just the the results of it settling. And, and then see where I'm at out to the side, that's yeah. going down the slope. Yeah, yeah, but I've I've been up there a couple times and I never find anything there. So yeah, well, it's it's good to go back to a, to a, a new old spot and yeah. see what's there. Hmm. Yeah. No, I I was I was obviously by not having the show last week. I was sick and Saturday. You know. I mean, I could have gotten the water, but I just... That have been pushing it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been two weeks, and I just, it's, it, it was, I just, yeah. So, sometimes you, you feel the worst in the beginning, but the, you're, the end of it, you're getting all the, you know, weeks of drainage and stuff we don't want to talk about, and yeah. Oh, well. Well, that's good. So, you, but you didn't, did you, n- no keepers then? No, I just brought up a couple, because I wanted to catch up, uh, even the ones that I wasn't sure of were brought up. She'd scrape my office and bust it wasn't. I put ups on two of them. And then, you know, the whiskey bottles, but you can't really tell until you play with them. And, of course, duck eggs. Yeah. <laughs> we found two of those. He was trying to bring those back. They do not float. No. Well, that's good. So glad somebody got wet getting the water. Well, and I get February one in. Yeah, you got your February one in. Yeah, I think I'm going to get skunked again. Um, hey, springs and beating at the door here. Yeah, but I'm gonna make up for it. This is that's a good sign. It means that I'm just I've got all this this time banked up, and you know my family might not see me on the weekends till end of November. <laughs> so, okay, well, th- what? So this weekend, what's the plan? Any, uh, Jim, you're gonna head out to the Ford Seahorses show. I'm going over to the shipwreck show in Ann Arbor. Hang Excellent. out with Dave and Rich and. Uh, Steve and who all knows what else may end up happening. Yeah, it'll be it'll be great. I I was planning on going, but I had committed to doing one last year of the Pinewood Derby for the Cub Scout troop, and usually it's done by now. But they picked this weekend, and I said, well, I guess so. So I'm going to miss out on the show this year. But I am going to. I'm determined to make it next year. Well, Mac went to a show last weekend, two weekends ago. Yeah, yeah, Mac. Did we talk about that? Our world underwater. There was no show last week, so I don't think you guys did, did you? No. Yeah, I thought we did talk about that. No, I think what we did, Mac, is we probably talked about it at the Mud Club meeting. Ah. So you know, you can sometimes they blur and we can't find them apart. But yeah, so you went to our world underwater. Was it? Did you get your photo taken? I looked for those mermaids. Let me tell you, first thing I did is look, and uh, they were not there again this year. Uh, I don't know if that's because I found them once before and they wanted to stay the heck out of my way or what, but uh, they did have the, the shark there and they did have the big, I don't know, whale, inflatable whale. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not have as many stations as they did last year. Uh, they had a better food line, though. 
And the displays, even from Divebright and a few of the bigger names, were not as large. And I talked to a few people, and it said the economy is kicking their butt. And the prices there don't help draw people in, meaning, you know, how much you're going to have to pay to have a certain square well, footage. Uh, I mean, Ch- Chicago, as much as I love being close to Chicago, it is not an inexpensive city to do uh, trade shows. Yeah. By the time you pay everybody who has to be paid above and below the table, you've spent a bucket of money. And I bet two-thirds were basically come take a vacation with us and go here. Well, that's, you know, it's been a few years since I've been to that show, but that's a lot. I'd say about a, almost half the booths were that. Yeah, and I bet there was two-thirds this year. Yeah, and then you had usually three or four Chicago-area dive shops had booths. Uh, you had maybe two T-shirt, hat, clothing spots. Um, you know, there was a guy with a, selling reels, um, you know, a few media sites. Yeah, you had shadow divers there. I, I think I saw some of the photos. You had like Shearwater. Was Shearwater there? Yeah. Um, and the military ones, of course, Dive Heart. Mm-hmm. And I Did talked you... to the gentleman that you had on your show about three years ago. Talked to him. Jim Helped Elliott, him. yeah. Yeah. Spoke to him. How was he doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. They had a, a nice display, and that's one of the pictures I put on uh, under the shots of other, other items mm-hmm. of that display because I thought that was one of the better ones. Plus, it had a good reason to be there for the veterans. Yeah. Did you talk to Ralph Wilbanks? I did not see Ralph. And I know they did have a lot of book sign-offs, but uh, if you weren't buying the book, I think Valerie was there selling some books and some other people. But we did our three-hour walkthrough and then went out and had food and then wound up doing pro bass shop on the way back. But it was, it was a good day trip. Now, did you bump into Dave Toneman, who was there? No, he was there Sunday. Oh, so, yeah, he was on there on a different day. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I don't I don't think Rich ended up making it. Not that I'm aware of. He and I have chatted a little bit, but not long enough to have, a like, a complete conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even see some of the guys from last year, Harry Zykes and stuff. Would have been kind of interesting to talk to them. In fact, I know Rich wasn't there because I think he went to Bonterra Mine, mm-hmm. which is another spot I have yet to get to that I need to go. Okay. Well, that's good. So that was, it was, sounded like it was an okay show. I mean, it's always good to midwinter to pop in and get some ideas, anything changing. Was there, was there anything new or exciting or just pretty much a standard trade show? I'm, I'm sorry, say that again. Was there anything new or exciting or is it just pretty much standard trade show? Yeah, I did not see any, anything that really was brand new or called your attention to it. The Dan booth was very nice. Uh, I, I did spend a little time at Dive Right. Looking at a couple of their rigs, I uh, took some pictures for Bob uh, during their sling. Mm-hmm. Their their adaptation for sling bottles was quite interesting. Yeah, because they're they're doing some different types of setups where you know like side mounting rigs and and stuff. Yeah, so we we tried to plagiarize as much as we could from there of how to hook up the riggings. Mm-hmm. It's always nice to look at the experts, and I told him so. Yeah, he said he had, he understood it because. If you go to their website, they have a lot of good tutorials. So, and that from that aspect, he's absolutely correct. Dive Right does put out some good information. Yeah, Dive Right mm-hmm. does. If you get onto YouTube and you search and you find their channel, they pretty much show you how to put together everything. Yeah. And it's, I and really you got to. I don't know if they give credit to it, but you know a lot of the stuff that they make is just adaptions of what people built for themselves to do cave diving. Well, sure. 
uh, you know, like the, you know, who, who, who gets credit for being the first one to weld a ring. So it sticks out for guys with gloves. Yeah. You know, so excellent. Well, show season's not over. So if you haven't had a chance, if you get this before this weekend and you can get over to the east side of the state around Ann Arbor area, you can get in and do the Ford Seahorse show. Um, but they've got, uh, what's this, this the what, scuba, the Ohio show. Scuba also- Scuba Fest. Yep, and then yep. ghost, ghost Ships. That's all the six sync. Yep. Now, now, Jim, isn't there one up coming up on Honda show or a seminar, one for MSRA? MS, MSRA's got their show, yeah. I've got to look at the date, but I think it's in April. Yeah, that, I was following them on Facebook, and they said that tickets are selling quick. So that's one of those that uh, I believe it sells out nearly every year. So you, you can't wait and pick up tickets at the door. You want to get those in advance. Yeah. You're much better off getting them in advance because uh, you will, they will sign that sell out very quickly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any, anything new with the preserve? Uh, not at the moment. Getting ready to do our communications and uh, spring uh, uh, yeah, registration or renewals. Well, excellent. That's about it. God, we we, we got to get some dives in. Yeah. Move some, move some sand, find some wrecks. It's the year. I, I, I'm convinced it's going to be the mm, year. Yep. And uh, I, I've been I've been bugging Jim. Went out with him and his family this last week, and we're we're diving. So it, it's going to be a good year. So good. make sure everybody heads over to the website www.scubaobsessed.com. Look around, click on some ads, see what's going on. We also have the dive video sites. So if you have some non-diver friends, introduce them to the site divevideos.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, my goal for that site is just to have the coolest dive videos, not ones that I necessarily made, but ones that are out there that are just good. Uh, YouTube, if you go and search for dive videos, you end up getting stuck watching those 8 to 10 minutes of unedited raw footage of nothing special. So what I'm hoping to do is curate. And if you find one, go to the dive video sites. We have suggest a video link, and you can click on that and then recommend some. So. We love that. Also, let's see what else we've got. Access Scuba. If you haven't had a chance, uh, that's an interesting new social media site for scuba diving. AccessScuba.com. And we have a Scuba Obsessed page over there looking for people. It's a, you get some good discussions. And unlike Facebook, it's pretty much just scuba divers. So you can go over there and you can set up, you can get a free account. So AccessScuba.com. Make sure you go and do that. And then Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. Twitter account, if you follow us at scuba obsessed on Twitter, you'll get our feeds. I usually have feeds uh, just about every day. Maybe not every day, but definitely several times a week in its news. And some of the news that we cover here, some of it we didn't. So you want to follow that if you just got to get your fix in the middle of the week. See, is there anything else we should plug? And then uh, Rich from Divers Incorporated has his uh, scuba crap site. So if you've got used gear, take a look at that site. Or if you want to pick up some used gear, it's an interesting idea what he's doing over there. So it's scubacrap.com. And then Rich's show, if you normally Tuesdays, I think this week is going to be Sunday, he's going to be broadcasting. So Rich of Diver Sync, uh, make sure you, you listen to him. He couldn't make it tonight. And Dave, he's in the pool. Guy, you think between two of them, one of them would be would be able to be in the chat room. But we'll give him a pass. Let's see, can I stall any longer? Well, it's been a long show. It has been. Well, We've already lost everybody except one person out of the show. <laughs> yeah, you could you could tell. 
the well, and, I, and he he came in a little late, so it's yeah, that's true. That's he true. tag teamed. Uh, so thanks everybody. Earlier we had uh, uh, Big Stig Steve and uh, Dive Mistress and some other guests who had popped on in. So thank you for coming and listening. And it's that time of the show. And and actually, I am not going to take responsibility for this joke. And I had this sent to me twice. So the same joke was sent to me twice. So it's destined to be here. So let the guilty be known. So you guys ready? Ready. Okay. A young diver from the Midwest goes off to college. Halfway through the semester, he foolishly squandered all his money he calls home. Daddy says, you won't believe how modern education is developing. They actually have a program here where we can teach our old dog, old blue, how to talk. That's amazing, his dad says. How do we get old blue in that program? Just send him down here with $1,000, the young diver says. I'll get him in the course. So his father sends the dog in $1,000. About two-thirds of the way through the semester, the money runs out. The boy calls in home. So how's old blue doing, son, his father asks. Awesome, dad. He's talking up a storm. But he just won't believe this. We've had such good results, they've started to teach the animals how to read. Read, his father says? No kidding. How do we get old blue in that program? Well, just send $2,500 and we'll get him in the class. The money promptly arrives, but as our hero has problems, by the end of the year, his, he doesn't want his father to find out the dog can neither talk nor read. So he shoots the dog. When he arrives home at the end of the year, his father's all excited. Where's old blue? I just can't wait to see him read something and talk. Dad, the boy says, I have some grim news. Yesterday morning, just before we left to drive home, Old Blue was in the living room, kicked back in a recliner, reading the Wall Street Journal like he usually does. Then he turned to me and asked, So is your daddy still messing around with that little redhead who lives down the street? His father exclaims, I hope you shot that bitch dog before he talked to your mother. I sure did, Dad. That's my boy. The kid went on to law school and now serves in Washington, D.C. as a congressman. <laughs> That's not even a joke. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Was it? Did, is that pulled from somebody's resume? <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah. The chat room liked it, so it, it gets a thumbs up. So, oh well. So until next week, go out there and get wet and stay safe. And remember, we didn't harm any shark fin-shaped chickens in tonight's episode either. completed.